Welcome to Uninhibited, a podcast with the mission to discuss taboo, multicultural, multigenerational, and multilayered topics that matter to women. My name is Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki. I am an Ivy League-trained OBGYN practicing medicine in rural America. I am married and raising three dynamic African-American boys. I am a mother, a career professional, a part of Generation X, and so much more. I bring to the table a true desire for social justice that informs my opinions, and my hope is that this podcast will open conversations, question beliefs, and be transformative. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Uninhibited. I'm your host, Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki, and um, today we are are blessed to have um, the opportunity to talk with someone who has been on the ground uh, fighting with uh, for women's uh, reproductive health. Our guest today um, goes by the name of Lou, and I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about what she's done and why her work is important. Hi, my name is Lou. Uh, I worked in abortion clinics from 1990 to 98. I worked doing things from scheduling appointments to going through informed consent to assisting the physician with abortions. I was also an advocate for the woman while she was going through her abortion. Um, Pretty much everything that you could do in the clinic aside from doing the abortion itself. Okay. And what? Why did, why did you do that job? What did you find that was important or fulfilling about it? The reason why I started working in abortion clinics is I had a really horrible childhood with a lot of trauma and abuse. And I decided that Nobody should go through something like I did growing up, and if I could help prevent that from happening, that I would. And so I decided to start working in abortion clinics to help prevent unwanted pregnancies and children from coming into this world. Okay. And in some ways, you feel, even though that some people may feel like you're taking life in some ways, I know when we spoke before, you feel in some ways that you're you're giving life because of the difficult situations that you've seen some of the women uh, were in. Can you tell us um, what, is there a typical woman that walked through the door or or tell us kind of who walked through the door. Who were the people and, um, you know, backgrounds and circumstances? It varied. Mm-hmm. Consistently, most of the women, um, about the only commonality that I saw with the women coming in were their emotional states, uh, that there was a lot of grief, a lot of shame, a lot of fear. Uh, a lot of self-hatred for being there. Nobody, this is not a choice that anybody really wants to ever have to make. Um, I saw young girls, young teenagers come in. Um, I saw 
drug addicts. I saw prostitutes. Um, I would see occasionally women that were in their 40s. Um, I would have to say that probably the majority of the women, if I had to lump it all together, uh, that came in were usually in their 20s and that it was not their first pregnancy. That's interesting because I think that's what the statistics bear out. I mean, one of the reasons why I'm even doing this is because of the fact of the current climate in America where our rights are being attacked, really. I read something interesting um, today where it said that if a woman slept with a hundred men in the course of a year, the most that she could get pregnant, you know, would be about once. So the most that in general would be, she would be able to deliver one full term uh, infant. But if a man slept with a hundred women in the course of a year, there could potentially be a hundred children that were uh, born. And so we're focusing our energies in the wrong direction as far as who we're seeking to control. And um, I think it's so important that women are coming out of the shadows. Women like uh, Bussy Phillips coming forward and saying, you know me, meaning that uh, the statistics show that one out of four, 25% of women in America will have a termination by the time they're in their 40s. So you really do know people who have had terminations and it shouldn't make you feel any think any less of them because as you said Lou each person that you dealt with no one came in there happy-go-lucky everyone that you dealt with was carrying a burden it it was it you know it could have been a as a victim of a rape that's a burden it could have been um just uh, a stupid teenage, uh, you know, mess up that really would take their life and their career off track if they move forward. Or it could have been, as you said, the, the drug addict who can't deal with her addiction, but is pregnant and doesn't want to deliver a child that's uh, possibly going to be exposed to large amounts of drugs in their system. So um, why do you think the availability of terminations are important or, or in lay terms, um, abortions? Why, why is the safe of availability important? Women should have the right to choose what to do with their body and what to do with their life. It's as simple as that. The abortion debate that our lawmakers are having, and the rest of society for that matter, is not about children. It's about uh, control. It's about ownership. It's about possession. It's about keeping women subservient to the desires of, of another or others' agendas. And I have to say, who has the right to dis- dictate how another chooses to live one's life. Amen to that. I mean, everything you said is amen, because also in reading, you know it's not about life, because one of the reasons why we're even 
you know, not giving your full name and address and all this other information is because the same people who view themselves as protecting life feel that it's okay to take your life or take anyone's life who actually performs abortions. That's, that's part of in some of the, the, you know, some of the cities and different places, just even to walk into the clinic, women have to go through so much. Um, have you been at any clinics where there have been protesting? Oh, yes. I walked through picket lines. Mm-hmm. I've had my picture taken. Uh, I've had my license plate on my car written down and photographed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had bomb threats at clinics that I've worked at. Uh, we had a boyfriend of a client come in distraught and took a chair and threw it through the wall. We had to call the police. We've had phone calls calling us baby killers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not pleasant. No, it isn't. That's the reason why I really do think, you know, you're one of the heroes and a, um, person who's on the ground because I've worked with, um, in, uh, New Haven when I was there, um, I worked at the Planned Parenthood and that's the other thing is now I'm glad that Planned Parenthood is trying to broaden the discussion on what they do. Abortions is like such a small percentage of what they do. Uh, I can tell you my own Planned Parenthood experience. I was contemplating becoming sexually active at 16 and I had had multiple discussions with my mom, but I didn't think that she was going to, you know, be all in favor of it and actually, you know, support my decision. So I was able as a 16 year old to go to the Planned Parenthood in my community in New Jersey and discuss birth control and left there with a pack of pills. I ended up not doing anything and not doing anything with the pills, but having that choice made a world of difference. The, my, I can tell, you know, our listeners, I grew up in a single uh, parent home um, and uh, against, you know, the odds. Um, I succeeded in school because education was a very much front and center for my mom and my extended family. And I went on to Yale undergrad and to Yale Medical School and to a master's from Harvard. I don't think any of those things would have been possible if I at least wasn't able to have clear discussions about birth control with someone like the practitioners at Planned Parenthood. And now, you know, there are people who are showing up and saying, you know, I found a lump in my breast. Planned Parenthood helped me get a mammogram. It's it's all of that that's being taken away. In some ways, I feel like women and our bodies are are under attack. How How do you feel? Oh, absolutely. It's under attack. It's, once again, like I said, it's about control. Uh, abortion clinics provide abortion, but they also provide wellness checks. They pass on information and education. I can't tell you how many times when I'd sit down with a client and we'd go over their health history and informed consent, 
that they had no idea that they could get pregnant. It was my first time I can't get pregnant. We were having sex in the shower. I can't get pregnant. They did mm-hmm. not know or understand. They did not have the education that every time you have sex, you could get pregnant. That is the reality. But it astonished me just how uneducated the the clients were. And mm-hmm. that is really sad to me. Uh, we need to have that education that will help bypass part of the abortion issue right there. Well, even contraception, I mean, we have high rates of abortion in this country because also birth control is not freely um, available, especially if you don't have health insurance. And um, that's that's the other part of of these people who are so pro-life. You know, once the child is here, those are the same people that don't want to fund public education. They don't want to um, fund um, health insurance or health care for all. Um, all of the things that make life living you know, worth living, you know, to have education, to have a roof over your head, to have clothes on your back, to have food in your in your tummy, uh, those they they don't um, care too much about. But just kind of forcing the mother to continue a pregnancy that is unplanned and unwanted, that seems to be the the main goal of all of it. If the argument was truly about children, there would be a support system in society set up for raising them. Instead, what we have is a system set up for making money and working several jobs to make ends meet. That is no way to raise a child. Exactly. I totally agree with you. There's so many other uh, things, areas that we could um, be focused on instead of so much concern about whether someone makes a choice about continuing a pregnancy or ending the pregnancy. It really is about women's bodies, women's voices, and women's choices. So tell me what were some of the common misconceptions uh, that women talk to you about in the um, clinics that you worked at, or perhaps even shed some light on what are the common misconceptions that maybe society has about women who have terminations? The biggest thing that I saw, once again, goes back to emotional states and shame uh, that women thought that they were wrong or bad somehow about having an abortion, that they had somehow failed their biological prerogative, which would be to have children. Um, so what what scares you about um what's going on currently in America cuz what i also remember reading is that these laws are not going to limit abortion they're going to limit safe abortions um you know that to me is kind of the scary part is that we could go back to a time when um you know the the back alley stuff because in my training i did see um a septic 
abortion. And um, it unfortunately, uh, it was a young 20-something-year-old woman and by septic abortion, meaning that um, she started having um, a termination. Uh, somehow it wasn't completed. The remaining products of the fetus that were inside of her became infected. Um, she became very sick and um, we had to do a hysterectomy on a young woman who um, hadn't had any children at that point. She'd been pregnant once, didn't want to continue, and then um, ended up getting a septic abortion. This was in, I mean, my training was in Pennsylvania. This was in a state that allowed abortions and she had access to it. But I'm just imagining that the more that we push it underground, the more dangerous it will become the more lives will be lost. Absolutely. There's really no need for this suffering. There really isn't. What society needs to do is to change and shift their paradigm and thought process and really deal with the deeper issues about why there is this need for control. I do have concerns that we are going back into an area and time where women are seen as possessions to do mm -hmm. whatever the controlling party wants to do with them. I'm concerned that it's going to lead to more death and heartbreak where there really doesn't need to be any. And I guess we need to also make it very clear that wealthy women will always have options. I have a friend uh, that lives in Ireland, and when um, I discussed some issues with him, because I think Ireland just recently um, legalized um, abortion, you know, what? so what did they do all this time? And he was just like, well, the they flew to England or they, you know, took the ferry or whatever means of uh, transport over to England. So again, people with means, women with means will have their rights protected, but um, we're talking about poorer women, women who don't have access to transportation, um, don't have access to, um, you know, money. Because another thing is people need to realize Medicaid, uh, no insurance company, Medicare, no, no government insurance and no private insurance pays for abortions. It is always um, something that you would have to pay for out of pocket. I should say elective abortions. I mean, if someone is having a miscarriage or the fetus has died, then obviously um, the insurance will pick up the bill for the medical care that's needed. But in general, um, uh, abortions, terminations are always paid for out of pocket. Have, were there any stories or people that you met along the way that particularly touched you that, that still stay with you? I have a couple that stay with me. The biggest one is that we had a woman come in who was a drug addict, and she was at 24 weeks, which is where I live that is the legal limit for abortions. 
and that was a three-day procedure. We started the procedure and were very clear that she could not use any drugs while going through this. After the first day, the next day she came back, she told us that she had used. So we had to stop and reverse what we did. And a week later, she realized that she was going to have twin drug babies. And she begged us to see her, and we couldn't because she was past our our limit. And I often mm-hmm. wonder about those twins and the life that they. Yeah, are no, leading. I guess it would would leave you to wonder um, about you know again. I guess the the thing is to understand that these are difficult decisions that no one wants to be in. Um, And you certainly, you know, you can say whatever you want to say about, um, okay, you know, she's a drug addict and it's her fault that she uses drugs. But uh, honestly, in my years of working in the field of obstetrics and gynecology, most of the people, I would have to say probably 90 to 95% of the people who end up drug addicted are trying to self-medicate because of psychic, mental, physical pain that they've experienced in their life that they have no other way to cope with but to numb themselves, um, whether it be incest or rape or or just um, physical abuse in other ways. It's a lot that people go through. So most people, unfortunately, that um, become drug addicts, even though on the surface we all have choices, you know, and and she made that choice. At the end of the day, there's, um, I'm sure there's a lot of layers to her decisions. so, you know, I think as a, as we started and we can uh, begin to wrap up, it the importance is that we keep abortion safe because as as the hashtag goes, hashtag you know me, these are women that are possibly your mothers, uh your sisters, your cousins, your teachers, um your spouses, your wives, um, your your pastors. I mean, all of these are people in our society that cho- that had to make a decision, and it was important that it was that they were able to make the decision that they weren't forced to carry a baby that they didn't want at that time in their lives. And again, underlining again, as you said, most of the women were 25 or older, which is what's kind of the national trends. And most of them have already had a child um, already. And so in some ways, as you alluded to also, for a lot of people, it's an economic decision. So again, there's so much more that we need to fix in our society. And again, we're, tr- we're treating a symptom and not the cause because if a woman or a family feels that it's better 
to abort than to raise another child into poverty, then maybe we need to start asking why are so many um, families in America going to bed hungry? Absolutely. Absolutely. Children are, they're our, our future, and we owe it to them to give them the best childhood that we have to offer. And a woman who's pregnant, who maybe wants to be or doesn't want to be, she's going to know best whether she can raise a child or not. And if she can't, then it really is a responsible thing to have an abortion to mm-hmm. prevent suffering for a child and to prevent suffering from maybe an already burdened family unit, especially if both parents are working. Like you said, economic factors. Mm-hmm. Economic it's, factors. There are times that there are no easy choices. And by the time you get to the point of abortion, it's never an easy decision, ever, ever. All right. On that note, I just want to thank you, Lou, for sharing your experiences and sharing your thoughts. And hopefully this will be part of the continued conversation in America where we're trying to push forward to to making uh, lives better for for all of us. I hope so. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Uninhibited. You can find more episodes to download at iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also continue the conversation at uninhibited.community on Facebook, where you can like us and share. And you can continue chatting on Instagram at uninhibited.podcast. Special shout out to Trap Quilo for the beats.